Our second reading this morning on this second Advent Sunday is also taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah, this time uh, eight chapters on, but probably, we think, and I'll mention this a little bit later, uh, probably about 150 to 200 years later, in other words, these two texts this morning from the same book come from vastly different times and centuries, probably written by, certainly written by two, at least two different people, uh, both under the label of Isaiah. So listen now for what the Spirit is saying to you and to the church in the 40th chapter of that prophetic book, beginning with the first verse. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together upon this, your word to us today, O God, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Uh, the celebration, as I mentioned earlier, here last Sunday was incredibly uh, celebratory, wonderful. But Advent isn't all uh, fun and games. Advent is about tension. If you've ever waited for something, something you really longed for, and it hasn't come yet, you know what I'm talking about. If you have a 17-year-old in your house right now waiting to hear from colleges, you know what I'm talking about. It's not fun. So, given the sort of tense atmosphere of Advent, I thought I'd start with a little Advent joke I'd share with you this morning. Anybody know what happened to the man who stole the Advent calendar? He got 25 days. No, yeah. I went to grad school for that. Yeah. As I mentioned, this Advent Sunday, we're looking at two readings from 
the book of the prophet Isaiah, which we think span anywhere from 150 to 200 years, probably uh, the reading from 32 that Millie read, probably from the late 8th century BCE, around 730, 730 years before Christ was born. And then this reading from Isaiah chapter 40, probably around 590 BCE, so another 140, 150 years later. Yet both readings convey the same thing, which is amazing given the fact that the person who wrote uh, the first reading and the people who read it and heard it for the first time were about as similar to the, peop- the, to the person who wrote the second reading, Isaiah 40, and the people who read and heard it for the first time as you and I are to Abraham Lincoln. That's the span, the difference, right? In cultural understanding and technology and point of view. Yet both readings convey the theme of reassurance and hope in the midst of devastating, scary, confusing times. Eternal truths, certainly relevant today, right now. The great empire of Assyria in that first reading is about to come down hard on the northern kingdom of Israel, and then half a century, a century and a half later, Babylon, the new evil empire that over, overthrown Assyria, is now about to overrun Jerusalem and haul all of its leading citizens back east to Babylon, to present-day Iraq. Everything for the people writing and reading these texts is upside down and confusing. Everything is broken, it seems, beyond repair. Have you ever felt that way in your own life? Have you ever felt that way about the world? Everything seems upside down and broken, perhaps beyond fixing. And yet, Isaiah says twice, in two different places, there is one who is coming who will be a savior, who will bring hope and peace. You see that? That's why no one ever invites a prophet to dinner. No one likes to have dinner with a religious fanatic who is naive. We all have that friend who is so smart and accomplished in the real world, but they go to church and they pray and they talk about God and Jesus all the time. It doesn't make any sense. Isaiah doesn't get it. A savior, a better day. Isaiah is whistling through the graveyard. He's playing his violin while the world is burning around him. Gaza, Israel, Ukraine, politics, any sort of shared commitment to the greater good, it's all burning, it seems. And here's Isaiah, just like the people in the Short Hills Mall, singing carols with a smile on his face, or technically today, on both of Isaiah's faces, both Isaiah's. Now, some of you might know I've been called aptly a Scrooge when it comes to Christmas carols sung too early in December. Guilty. Call me old-fashioned, but I don't think we should sing Christmas songs until, well, I don't know, Christmas. We should wait. I like surprises. I think it's better to wait. I don't want to be, I don't want Christmas to be something I just turn on once Thanksgiving's over with. I like it to come to me. I don't want to control it. But I do like Christmas carols, 
O Holy Night brings tears to my eyes every year. Love the Mahalia Jackson version. Silent Night, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Love it. Always gets me in the Christmas spirit. I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. I, Jackson 5, that's awesome. And of course, Elvis sang, I'll have a blue, 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 blue Christmas without you. And I think Elvis was singing an Advent song because he was on to something. This is a tough time of year for a lot of people, the holidays. The king, the king of rock and roll, anyway, reminded us that holiday memories aren't exactly happy for everyone, for a lot of people, for a lot of families. Christmas can be hard. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God, says Isaiah, to people who really needed to hear those words. And there still are people who really need to hear those words. Comfort. Comfort my people. Hostages. War victims. People who have lost everything. People who have lost loved ones. Without whom they can't imagine living themselves. Everyone needs to hear these words. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. A voice of one calling in the desert, in the desert where there is nothing, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God, and then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all humankind, including those who suffer now, will see it. Advent is a tough time, and it should be a tough time. It is the time when we people of faith stare the difference between what is and what could be straight in the face. That's what we do as people of faith at the beginning of life and at the end of life and beyond. We look at the fire burning and destroying so much, we look at the reality of death and we see all those things for what they are and we still see God at work. That's hard. So this time of year is a lot more than a time of preparation and knocking things off your to-do list, and it is a lot more than a time even of anticipation. It is a time of expectation and confidence that somehow God is going to make a way where there seems to be absolutely no way. This is a time of confidence. I was talking with my daughter Maggie the other day about confidence. Maggie is a runner, a competitive runner, and and she's really into it. Um, And she's learning that you can get confidence from a lot of places if the weather is good or if people are complimenting you or if you like the track surface in a particular track where you're running. But if one depends on getting their confidence from the outside, you can never be sure if you're going to have it when you need it. Real confidence comes from inside, from knowing what other people probably don't know, don't want to know. It doesn't depend on anything other than what you feel in your heart. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. We trust that comfort is coming, even now, even today. A king will reign in righteousness 
It will be like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. All people will abide in peaceful habitation in quiet resting places. This beautiful language, this confidence that we have when everybody else calls us crazy or naive. That's what Advent is all about. So here's a word from God for our real life that we live. If you're in pain this Advent season, God is here to comfort you as only God can. Maybe you've lost someone. Someone you miss terribly. Maybe this year hasn't been the kind of year financially you expected it to be or hoped it would be. Maybe it's been a tough season in terms of relationships. Maybe you are burdened by the world and its heaviness and its pain. Advent says, first of all, to us that God cares about a broken world, this broken world. Isaiah was speaking to a broken nation, a broken people, exiles, people who were families who were split apart, people who were mourning. Isaiah assures them and us that God has not forgotten them or forsaken them. They may not be able to see it, but their suffering is almost over. God will build a vast highway over which they will travel from the wilderness, through the wilderness, as hard as it can be, as long as it takes, to a promised land. And the message is the same in the New Testament. It's why we call the story of Jesus good news, gospel. God's love is not a distant or detached love. It's not conditional. It doesn't just show up when things are good or warm or fuzzy. Life is hard. Christians know that. We live it too. On my own, we've found out. On your own, on our own, without God, life is unbearable a lot of the times. And God cares about our broken world, how hard it is. That's what Advent and Christmas are all about. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Another thing Advent is about is that God came into our world to identify with what we go through, with human suffering. Taoism says that all life is suffering, right? It's true. It's hard. It begins in pain and ends in death. And yet, for us, it's not the last word, right? We find every step of the way the miraculous gift of hope and joy and abundant living with death, with pain. Advent comes from Latin, and it means to come or to arrive. God's love, we believe, we trust, we've experienced, doesn't stay at a distance. It always enters. It always is arriving. It's always personal. Jesus comes into our world, arrives in our world to walk in our shoes. There's a book called Flashpoints written by a guy named Stephen Arterburn which tells the story of a remarkable woman named Patty Moore. Patty, at 17 years old, was already a student at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Um, And one day at a traffic light, uh, she was waiting on a bus and looking out the window while the light was red, Patty noticed a homeless man, an elderly man, on the sidewalk. It changed her life. He was disheveled. He was carrying under each arm a loaded, tattered shopping bag 
He was moving slowly. Each step seemed to be a challenge for him. And this was an awakening for her, for Patty Moore. It suddenly occurred to her that older people have special needs, special difficulties. Amen to that. And this became her calling. After graduation, she moved to New York City, accepted a job with a prestigious industrial design firm where she began to design products with elderly, older people in mind. And with each assignment, Patty would ask herself, could my grandfather, whom she loved greatly, could my grandfather manage this with his aging eyes and hands? And then one day, Patty decided to take this even further with the help of a friend who was a makeup artist for NBC, she decided to spend several months on the streets of New York disguised as an older woman, a homeless woman, and discover for herself how America treated the elderly. Her friend fitted pieces of latex to her face to instantly age her, kind of like Mrs. Doubtfire. Her friend wrapped her legs with ace bandages. She wore support stockings over the bandages to bind her movement. She put wax in her ears to make it hard to hear other people, drops of baby oil in her, in her eyes to cloud her vision. She wrapped adhesive tape around her fingers to simulate arthritis, and she wore gloves over that tape. And Patty Moore discovered to her dismay what we all know, really, which, how the world treats older people. She reports that she was ignored, shoved, cheated, ostracized, and even mugged when I was in, a, in character as an older woman, she says afterwards, I got a, if I got a smile or a hello from a passerby, I felt like I'd received a hug from God himself. It was so rare and so meaningful. I love that line from the song from, by John Prine. You know that old trees just go stronger and old rivers grow wilder every day. Old people just grow lonesome, waiting for someone to say, Hello in there. Patty Moore's experiment changed forever her thinking about the needs of the elderly and also influenced the thinking of industrial designers, politicians, and others who learned about her work. And she was on the right academic and theoretical track, but the only way Patty Moore could really learn about the needs of the elderly was to experience for herself what it is to be elderly in a world built for older people. I am feeling that more and more these days. Friends, here's what's so majestic about the coming of Christ for which we're waiting again. God came to us as a tiny child, a baby, not as a grown adult with accomplishments and power and everything figured out, but as an infinite. Other religions have gods who come down to earth too, but only the Christian faith speaks of a God who empties God's self completely starting in poverty and going through the entire real human experience in complete vulnerability, experiencing every pain that can be thrown at a human being. God knows the challenges we face. God knows the pain of being human. This brings us to the last thing that can be said today. The manger of Bethlehem, this time of year, is as important and as much as an important part of the Christian faith as the cross of Calvary that comes later. This is the moment we're waiting for when God invades, intervenes in human history. I love the way Isaiah puts it in verse 9 of our second reading today. You who bring good tidings to Zion, the people of God, 
Go up on a high mountain, you who bring good tidings to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say it to the towns of Judah. Here is your God. Here is your God, friends. A helpless baby born out back in a shed. What does that say about the God we believe in? Is that God, that baby, going to solve your problems? I'd like a bigger, stronger Charlton Heston kind of God, frankly. Someone who can solve my problems, overcome all the obstacles our world faces, just make them go away, dominate them. Here is your God, baptized by John in the River Jordan. Here is your God, teaching and healing beside the Sea of Galilee. Here is your God, welcoming the outcast, challenging you to stop trusting anyone, any tradition, any accomplishment of yours, and any treasure you have that you think is going to last, because they won't. Only love lasts, and that's what he is. Here is your God hanging on the cross on a mountain, making the ultimate sacrifice to show his love for a sick and dying and ungrateful world. I don't know about shouting like Isaiah prescribes, but it reminds me of the little gospel spiritual amen, in which the preacher tells the story of Jesus while the congregation just sings over and over again, amen, amen. Let that be so. This is who God is. In the words of Isaiah, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He shows them how much he loves them. He gently leads even the mother sheep. God cares about a broken world. God identifies with and knows what you experience. God is aware of our secret weaknesses the ones we don't even want to face. God came in the world to identify with all that you and I go through. And Bethlehem is the beginning of that good news. Look in the manger. Whatever you are going to need is going to be found there. Here is your God. Hope, peace, it's hard to see now, isn't it, for a lot of us. Amen. Worry, Fear, even, those are all very real. But don't lose hope. Don't lose peace. Because he's coming. Amen. Would you pray with me? Loving God, we give you thanks for the gift of yourself, for which we wait. We feel like those who've been locked up, who've been constricted, you promise freedom. And with that freedom... We'll start to treat one another and love one another, no matter who that other is, like you treat and love us as precious children of God. May it be so. Amen.